today's theme is about joy and rejoicing before the Lord. And we've heard some amazing testimonies of God's faithfulness that causes us to rejoice. Amen? Isn't it good to hear those things? Doesn't it build your faith? It sure builds my faith, man. When when Marie was uh, just desperately looking for a place, I thought, God, you've got to hear us and answer these prayers. And he does. You know, we try so hard. We do. We struggle. We try. We yearn. We hope. And I think the Lord's teaching me just relax and receive. Relax and receive. And that that's a big lesson for me because I've, you know, I always try to work hard and I try to work harder and try to work harder and uh, it doesn't always make any difference. Uh, the harder I work, uh, there, there's a bumper sticker I used to see. The hurrieder I go, the behinder I get. <laughs> anyway, uh, today I want to talk about joy. I want to talk about joy and the power of your witness. I uh, was at a pastor's, a collection of pastors meeting this past Tuesday, and it was a symposium on reaching Muslims for Christ. And it was a, it was a good, it was a good time. There were a collection of about, uh, half a dozen pastors there. And it was just discussion around this idea of bringing Muslims to Christ. And there are Muslims that have come here to the U.S. and they're populating, uh, populating our cities. And so they're here among us. And so what doth hinder? You know, what, what should hold us back from, from reaching out. You know, it costs a lot of money to send a missionary across the ocean to a place where the Muslims live and to, to try to reach them. And I think, um, the statistics are such that we have one missionary for every Muslim, for every million Muslims. One missionary for every million Muslims. And that's a, a daunting task for that that missionary to be up against those numbers. So the the speaker who was presenting this said, since there's since God saw that we were only sending one missionary for every million Muslims, he decided he's going to bring a bunch of them over here. And uh, <laughs> so it's like, okay, now the the balance is changing a little bit. Um and we have an expression of evangelism to Muslims in our own church. Paul has his service in the afternoon with Sudanese. And I was able to meet a young a man. He's young, but he's big. He's Sudanese, you know. So these guys are really tall. Uh, you can tell a Sudanese because they're really black and they're really tall. Really black and really tall. And this guy's about this high. And he's talking to me and he says, I, I am a Christian. I was raised in a Christian home until I was nine years old. And then... Some Muslims came and they kidnapped me and they took me to their own family and I ha- I lived the rest of my young life in this Muslim home and they converted me to Islam. They made me, uh, they made me a Muslim. They gave me a Muslim name. But when I turned to be about 25, I just, I thought things over and I realized, you know, I'm really a Christian in my heart. I want to be a Christian in my heart. So he, he escaped out of that situation and he started to follow Jesus, and now what's happened, because of this thing that happened in his life that was like a terrible, terrible thing, he's decided he's going to reach out to Muslims. 
and try to bring them to Christ. And I applaud this guy. And he's living up in Fort Morgan. In fact, I think I'd like to go visit him one day. Uh, he lives up in Fort Morgan, and his main focus of outreach is the Somalis. And he said to me, you know, I've been trying to reach these Somalis, and you have to be really strong with Somalis because they're ready to fight you anytime. You have to be bold, and you have to be uh, persistent. And so as he was talking, um, he said, you know, some Americans have said to me, don't worry about the Somalis. Just wait to the next generation. You wait to the next generation, and then they will start to become Christians. And he said, no, it's not going to be like that. Because, and for those of you who know, the Somalis are a very tight-knit community. They don't mix outside. And uh, I remember, Theo, you guys were playing soccer one time, and Jesse was out there playing, and, and we had a soccer match between some of our Congolese uh, people and the Somalis. I don't know if you remember that, but that was like a couple, three years ago. And man, Jesse said it was a little scary because the Congolese are so friendly and happy and having a good time and the Somalis are out there ready to draw some blood. You know, so it was kind of a tough soccer match. Uh, but uh, he said, those Somalis, they don't mix. They don't mix. They're not, the next generation is going to be just like this generation. So we have to go in now. We have to go in now with, with strategy and purpose. And so today I want to share the strategy with you. Strategy for evangelism. Strategy for a good life. Strategy for a healthier body. Strategy for uh, uh, joy into your retirement age. Strategy for, for getting along with people. Strategy for doing better at your job. And the strategy is joy. The strategy is joy. The power of your witness is joy. At this pastor's symposium I was telling you about, the, there was a man who used to live in Syria. He's an American missionary. Lived in Syria and lived in the Middle East for several years. And he was friends uh, with a guy. Oh, before I tell you that, I want to tell you about Paul. Pastor Paul, do you remember his testimony when he shared? He said one thing. When he was captured by the Iraqis and he and the UN peacekeeping force were in prison, a special prison for that Saddam Hussein had, had established for them. They were in this prison, and of all the guys in the room, there was one guy who just was so full of joy. And he just was smiling, and he was happy. And yet, day by day, each day they would take another one and execute them. And Paul's talking to this guy, and he says, you know what's going on here? He says, why are you so happy? Why are you so joyful? And the man said, I know where I'm going. I'm going up. <laughs> and then he said to Paul, where are you going? And Paul said he didn't know. And so Paul said to this guy, if I could just have one cup of your joy. So that's why I put the cup on the picture. That's a cup of joy. That's a cup of joe. It's a cup of joy. Um, <laughs> I love coffee. So it's a cup of joy. And he says, if I could just have one cup of your joy. That's what drew Paul into this conversation. And actually, it was that conversation that began to lead him on his search that took several years to find Jesus Christ. It took a long time, but it was the joy in that man that brought him to Christ. So in the next slide here, uh, there's a man uh, in Syria. His name is actually Jihad. 
which is kind of ironic because jihad is holy, is a holy war. But the man, he was a believer, and he, he made this statement. He's seen Muslims come to Christ, and he says, the only Muslims I know who came to Christ came for joy. Because they saw joy in a friend or in some, uh, some relationship somehow, and he saw the joy, and he was drawn into the joy. So, I just want to say, church, light of the nations, we got to have the joy on if we're going to be effective witnesses. We cannot win people to Christ if we're like, okay, you're living in sin. You're living a bad life. You smoke marijuana today, I can smell it. You know, if we are starting to, if we act like that, there's not going to be any joy in our, <laughs> in our, uh, visage that's going to draw anybody. It's going to scare them off. We've got to look like Beth right there. Just look at the joy on her face. We've got to have joy if we're going to win people to Christ. The same is true of our family. It's the best witness we can have with our family. It's the best witness. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, next slide, Surprised by Joy. And I just saw that picture. I thought, that is a picture of joy right there, man. I love that. Ever since I became a grandfather, I just love these pictures of uh, babies laughing. I should have put one of my own grandkids up there. That's not one of mine. But you know, the natural condition of our life is like this. Just empty, flopping around, not good for anything, really. Although I guess we could use this as a whip. It would hurt. Yeah, that's no joy. But this is kind of our life without joy. It's just limp. It's got no no direction, no purpose. It's got no use. It's just hanging there, limp. That's the natural condition of ourselves and our world. And in our Bible reading, we've been going through the book of Job. I want you to look at this scripture here. This is Job speaking. And Job has had all the joy taken out of his life. Okay, All the joy was gone. And he says, Has not man a hard service on earth? And are not his days like the days of a hired hand, a slave, right? Like a slave who longs for the shadow and like a hired hand who looks for his wages. He only, he's working just to get his pay, just to survive another day. So I am allotted months of emptiness. It's like this. I'm allotted months of emptiness and nights of misery are apportioned to me. Have any of you had trouble sleeping? Isn't it terrible when you can't sleep and it's just like, when is this night going to be over? And you're just like desperate. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? It's like, is it morning yet? And then you know what happens and you go through, you've been miserable all night and you go into a day full of pain and struggle and suffering. It's like, when is it going to be nighttime so I can go to bed again? But then you're going to run into the same thing again when you get there. But the night is long, and I am full of tossing till the dawn. <laughs> That's a terrible, terrible situation. I have a, I have a Hindu friend. His name is Machendra, uh, and he's he's a fairly devout Hindu. And the Hindus have a a saying and a philosophy, a mindset that says they are bound upon the wheel of life. So. The, the wheel of life turns and they are bound upon it. And their destiny is already determined and who they are and who they're going to be is already determined. 
and they just have an allotted amount of time, and then finally they hope one day in the vast uh, expanse of time to be released from the wheel of life into another spiritual realm. And it was his birthday one year. He's a neighbor of ours. And I went over to wish him a happy birthday and thinking, you know, this is a great occasion. I'll just go and be friendly and everything. And he was in his certain kind of garb and he had shaved his head. And he said, uh, well, I said, happy birthday, Machendra. So good to see you. And, and he says, well, it's another year bound upon the wheel of life. One day I will finally escape this, this wheel. I thought, man, that's a terrible way to think. Man, it's your birthday. Come on, let's get some candles and a cake. Let's sing a song or something. No, he just was determined to fill his life to get to the next day, just to make it through. You know, when you have pain, like Job did, suffering and loss, it steals all the joy out of your life. It just takes it all away. And, and then, and then you're just surviving. You're just, you're just, laying flat on the table, and it's just empty. It's just no good. But that is not how God wants you to live. Can anybody say amen? Amen. That is not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to be living so full of joy that people go, I want some of that. I want to be just like you. For all the gods are the peoples of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and joy are in His place. Amen. Strength and joy are in His place. There's an interesting combination of words here. Strength and joy. This is from 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Okay, And the context is one of the kings who had uh, struggled and had come through. But the idea I want to tie together today is strength and joy. Okay, so if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling weak and you need strength, get joy. (laughs) If you're feeling down and depressed, then get some joy. Now, it won't just come in that cup that I showed you, although that might help a little bit. Get that cup of coffee. You know, when... uh, Pastor Fies and I meet at Starbucks. He always gets a caramel macchiato. I've, I've trained him to like the caramel macchiatos. So if you ever want to take Pastor Fies to a Starbucks, get him a caramel macchiato. He'll be happy for the rest of the day. He really likes that. You know, we need joy in our life just to have enough strength to get through. We need the joy. When you're facing trouble, when you're facing trials, when you're looking for an apartment and none are available, It just takes the joy out of your life. But man, when you get that apartment, when you get that place, it just, woo, life is good, right? It just, it just feels so right. Well, in the book of Nehemiah, there's an interesting thing that happens there. Nehemiah came to the people and he helped them build this wall and it took 52 days to build this wall and the people were quite happy when it was all done. And once it was all built, there was a lot of security in the town. The people had security, and they started to have some desire for some spiritual good stuff. So what they did was they got Ezra, who was the prophet of God there, and he was getting the the temple worship organized and everything, and he brought out the books of the law. 
Now we're talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Brought those books, and they built a special platform, a stage, in the open air somewhere, so that he could climb to the top and he could read the book of the law. And all the people gathered around. And the way they did this, very interesting, because they didn't have the microphone systems. So they had him up on the platform, and then they had throughout the crowd scattered the Levites, the people of God who were out there, uh, the ones who served in the temple, scattered among the people. And so Ezra would read from the book of the law, and then he must have paused for a while. And then the Levites who were out there would explain in simpler terms what was being said so that people could understand what's going on. And you know what the people did? After they heard all of the law, they began to weep and wail and grieve. And the reason, why do you, why do you think, I don't want to just give all the answers here, why do you think they were weeping and wailing? Because they hadn't been following the law. Because they, they had gotten so far away from God, not only before the captivity, but also after their return. They just weren't following God the way that the book of the law showed them. And when, you know, it's one thing to just read the Bible and hear it, but then it's another to have it explained to you and to have you really understand how this practically works in my life. And that's what the Levites' jobs were. So I want to paint a little picture here. I'm going to be Ezra, and you guys be the Levites. Okay? I'm going to preach this word, and I try to make it as understandable as possible. But then I am asking you, Levites, to go out into your community, your neighborhood, your your homes, your own families, and live out this life of truth, this life of joy. Because as you do live out joy, you might not even have to say anything, but just the joy of God attracts people to you. Amen? It's really true. It's how it goes. Well, anyway, the people are grieving because they're not living up to the law. And they, the people wept as they heard the words of the law. That's in verse 9. But then in verse 10, Nehemiah and Ezra said, what are we going to do with these people? They're all crying and weeping. And they said, do not be grieved. This is verse 10. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want you to notice joy and strength go together. Whenever you're feeling weak, get yourself some joy. And it doesn't come in a bottle. It doesn't come in the cup of coffee. It comes from another place. We're gonna we're gonna look at where that is right now. I want to share a little uh, story I read this past week. Next slide. At a conference at a Presbyterian church in Omaha. Now, how many of you know about Presbyterians? Raise your hand if you've heard about Presbyterians. I was raised in a Presbyterian church, and they're very dignified. They're very good people. Very dignified, though, but in the churches that I was raised in, they were not charismatic. They were not Pentecostal. And if you got a little too loud in the service, they really didn't like it. The service had to be really quiet, really quiet. No moving, no noise. And any kid that rustled, out right now. You know, that's kind of how it went. Well, anyway, Presbyterian Church in Omaha Somebody had an idea. They said, we're going to give all the people in the church today a helium balloon. One of those balloons you hold the string and it floats up. So everyone came in, 
they, as the, the ushers handed out balloons to everybody, so everybody in the room held a balloon. So that would be kind of fun, you know, if everybody here had a balloon right around here, we'd have all this color up here. Anyway, everybody had a balloon, and they were told, they were told in the service that when they felt like expressing joy from their heart, they were supposed to let go of the balloon and it would go up to the ceiling. Sounded like a good idea. Because you see, Presbyterians, they don't say hallelujah. They don't say praise the Lord in the service. But we're not Presbyterian here, are we, folks? We're Pentecostals, so you can say hallelujah anytime you want. Amen. But these Presbyterians, they couldn't say hallelujah and praise the Lord, so they would release their balloon when there was something in the message that made them happy. Something that felt like expressing joy. Maybe a song that was being sung. They would go, ooh, there goes it. But here's the sad thing. All through the service, different balloons would go up. But when the service was over, and by the way, in a Presbyterian church, it is one hour. Actually, 59 minutes and 30 seconds. And it better be winding to a close or people aren't going to be happy. That's Presbyterian way. Anyway, at least here in the United States, that's how it was. But at the end of the service, one-third of the balloons, people were still holding on to their balloon. And the message, folks, is you got to let your balloon go. you got to let the joy come up. You can't keep holding on to it. That's why we like to do testimonies. Thank you, Marie. Thank you, Tiara, for sharing your testimony today because it released a bunch of balloons in this room. So, folks, don't hold on to your balloon. Let it go. Let it go. Let the joy out because you got to share your joy. It brings joy to other people. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Would you say that with me? In your presence there is fullness of joy. What a good verse. So, if you want to get some joy, where are you going to go? In His presence. Yeah. You want joy. If you're feeling weak, if you're feeling powerless, it's time to get with Jesus and be in His presence. It's time to join the saints and sing and dance before Him. And you know, with that joy, there's something else that God gives. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, sometimes we talk about Satan and how he tempts people and gets them off the path. And it's to the point where we kind of feel like Satan has so much, so much power and so much energy. But you know, Satan doesn't have a whole lot. You know what Satan does? He cannot create anything on his own. All he can do is take what God has already created and twist it, pervert it in order to get you off the track. So Satan will take the pleasures that God has created and turn them into his way, a wrong way. It doesn't have to be turned a lot wrong, just a little bit wrong, to get people off track. So that's why Satan uses some of the most powerful pleasures we have to pervert and to get them the wrong way and to try to destroy lives. That's how he works. Satan is so jealous of God because at God's right hand are pleasures, not just for today, not just for an hour, not just for a minute, but pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. That's how God works. Pleasure upon pleasure 
upon pleasure. This earth is temporary pain, but God's way is pleasure forever. And it starts with joy. Hallelujah. Man, I love that. C.S. Lewis wrote this wonderful book, Surprised by Joy. It's a story of his conversion. And the thing that brought C.S. Lewis to God was joy. He noticed that there were certain things in life that just brought you great joy, brought him great joy. With him, he was a very bookish kind of person. So he would read a piece of poetry from Norse mythology, and he would just feel that's awesome. Now, you and I might read that and go, okay, let's move on. But for him, it was that kind of thing. And he just, he said he was shocked sometimes through his life, how he could just experience this joy. And he was very analytical, and he thought, where does that joy come from? What is it in this world? Because it was always something that would draw him to something more. It would always try to draw him, and it would be like a mysterious thing where there's something else beyond it. And what he concluded was, on the other side of this joy, you know what it is? It's God. It's Jesus. He's on the other side of the joy. You get a little tap of joy, like you go driving down the street and you look at the beautiful colors. I love the fall. It's my favorite time of year. I just love the color and I love the chill in the air after sweating all summer long. I kind of like that and I don't have to work outside like some people do. But I, I like that. And I'm just like, this is so awesome. And that joy just reminds me, there's a creator up there who's just giving a pleasure to his people right now. We should give him praise. Every time you see something that brings you joy, you just give him praise. And you know what will happen? You'll get more joy. (laughs) That's how it works. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is what Jesus is talking about. He discovers a treasure and it brings joy. It's like, whoa, this is worth everything I have. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it with all of my strength. (laughs) And so he does. And he gets that treasure. But on the way, it's a journey full of joy. Folks, we need the joy in our life. We need the joy. Because in the joy, there is power. If we're just focused on, oh, i got to be holy. You know, it can kind of look at my face. It just kind of makes you got to be holy. But if I've got to have joy, joy and holiness go together. Joy and strength go together. You know, if we focus on not being bad, it's just going to waste our energy and waste our time. But if we focus on the joy of the Lord, on being in His presence, the, the pleasures of this world just don't even compare It isn't even important. So, where are you going to get the joy? We get the joy from Jesus, right? There was a third century man. Back in the third century, there was a lot of persecution by the Roman Empire against the Christians. And here was a man who was getting ready to die. And he wrote these words. These are his last words he wrote to a friend. He said, it's a bad world. It's an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered... In the midst of it, a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better 
than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they don't care. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. Oh man, what a statement. Here was a man going to die, but he had found the joy. Now joy comes in the midst of grief. Joy can come in the midst of pain. Joy can come in the midst of sorrow and loss because it isn't related to those things because it comes from God. It comes from a source that you don't even know about. It comes from who knows where. I was going to ask Sam to help me, but I don't see him here right now. Oh, he's with the children. How nice of him to do that. That's good. Well, instead of Sam, I'm going to ask my brother to come. He's very helpful. So, this is our life without joy. So, what we need to find in our world is joy somewhere. So, I'm going to go into this door. I think there's some joy over here. And you got to find, if you need some joy, you got to find, are you still there? Okay. Well, I'm in the other room, so I don't know if you're... This is where the joy is. That's right. You got to find a blue hose. Okay? Okay, so the hose is tangled, so this is as far as we go. So you got to find a blue hose. Now, the blue hose for you and me is praise and His presence. It's praise. It's giving Him praise. It's hallelujah. We give you praise, Lord. And we hook up our life to His praise and His presence. Whoa, look at that. Man, now you know, isn't that awesome? Now now I can go somewhere. <laughs> now I can go somewhere. There's nothing in here but air. Have you guys noticed these big tractor-trailer trucks on the road? Those things are heavy. Do you know they're just riding on air? It's, it's just air in those tires. Nothing but air. Your car weighs about 2,000 pounds, and there's nothing between you and the road except air in those tires. So your life and mine, we're the rubber, but what we need is that air inside. And every time we give praise to God, comes a little bit more. There's a little bit more air in our life. That's the joy. Every time we get critical, your air goes out. Every time you let somebody's behavior steal your joy, it just goes out a little bit more. Every time you run into trouble, you get sick, you hear bad news, you read the news, a little bit more joy leaks out of your life. So I think here's a prescription for us. Just turn the praise on. Turn the praise on. When you read the news, just pause, pray, and praise. When you hear bad news, when you get critical, when someone insults you, you just start giving him praise. You say, Jesus, I'm here to run on your road, and I can only run on your joy. I can't fill my tire with anything else. And do not let Satan steal your joy because he is intent on filling your life with nothing but pain. So he puts thorns in the road and you're going to ride along your road and you're going to puncture. Now, if we were, if there's a hole in this tire, it's eventually going to leak out. We got to patch it up. But you know, even if you didn't patch it up, 
if you had a constant source of joy going in to that tire, it would stay up. It might leak out all the time, but if you had more going in than any going out, you would stay floating. You would That tractor trailer of yours would keep rolling through life. You would be the conqueror. You would have the strength you need. We as a church, if we fill ourselves with joy, we would have all that we need to grow and expand into the new place we're going to go to, into the new world we're going to be in. We're going to have the strength to bring Christ's light and love to our neighborhood.